So we're back in Isaiah chapter 5 tonight, and we're going to pick up here in verse 8. And believe it or not, I'm going to try and get through the end of the chapter tonight. So we'll see, we'll see how far I get. There's uh, 30 verses in Isaiah chapter 5. So Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, Truly, many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. So Isaiah here is continuing his rebuke of the people of God, specifically Judah here at this time, who were practicing unrighteousness. They were practicing lawlessness. Um, bribery and corruption was rampant, as we're going to see tonight in the culture among the leadership. We're also going to see also that they were into um, partying and drunkenness and revelry and this sort of thing, just lawlessness, really. And so there are uh, between, between uh, six and seven woes. Some of the uh, commentators say there's only six woes here, but the word woe is used seven times actually uh, in Isaiah chapter five. In verse eight, he says, woe to those who join house to house. Uh, verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until the night, till wine inflames them. Verse 18 says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope. Verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Verse 22 says, woe to men mighty at drinking wine. And then it says, woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. So you have the word woe mentioned seven times. Uh, Verse uh, 22, actually, it's, it's kind of one judgment with those who are partying mighty at drinking wine and mixing intoxicating drink. But this is a pretty serious judgment of God that's coming upon his people and being uh, proclaimed by his man, Isaiah, the prophet. Now, again, back in verse eight, where we started, we read, Woe to those who join house to house, they add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. And uh, Pastor Chuck, when he would teach on this passage, said that it reminded him of all of the suburbs in Orange County where they ripped out all of the lemon trees and orange trees and built shopping centers and skyscrapers and housing tracks and everything else. Um, but it was it, it wasn't just all of this expansive growth uh, in Judah that Isaiah is referring to, he's actually also referring to the fact that they are 
the wealthy people were taking the land from the poor people and they were enriching themselves and they were really stealing people's inheritance because God had given the people of Israel land that was appropriated to each of the 12 tribes. And there was certain land that was supposed to stay within the family of the 12 tribes. And, and uh, I'll, I'll take you to Leviticus in the law here in a minute, where we read about how the law of the uh, 50-year jubilee was to return and restore all of the lands back to the original families of the tribe so that it wouldn't one tribe wouldn't take over, as it were, uh, all of the other tribes in Israel. Back in Leviticus and chapter 25, we read this about the laws of the land ownership in Israel. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 8 says this, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family." That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. Verse 13, In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Skipping to verse 23, he says this in verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine, says the Lord, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possessions, you shall grant redemption of the land. Skipping to verse 34. He says, but the field of the common land of the cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. And so what the uh, scholars and historians tell us about Isaiah's time and about Isaiah's uh, uh, woe judgment against the people of Judah in Isaiah chapter 5, what they tell us is, is that these rich, wealthy landowners and business owners and wealthy uh, members uh, of the society at the time in Judah were just snatching up everybody's land. They were buying everybody's land. They were not uh, practicing the 50-year jubilee uh, feast where everything returns back to its original owner. And, and so basically they were enriching themselves typically 
um, because people would be poor or they would have a bad crop and, and basically they'd have to borrow money from wealthy uh, uh, other wealthy landowners so they can continue to keep their crops going. And eventually they'd get so far in debt to these wealthy landowners and these wealthy individuals that they would lose their land in, in, in a foreclosure process. And then they should have had an opportunity to buy that land back to keep it within their own tribe. And that was not taking place. It wasn't happening here. And so they were breaking the law of God because God says, look, this is my land. I gave it to you. You're sojourners passing through. I own this land, God was saying in Leviticus. And uh, and they were not following his uh, order or his rules for the appro- appropriation of the lands to the uh, tribes of Israel that God had given to them. <clears throat> the root of this, of course, is is greed and it's covetousness. It's wanting something that didn't belong to them and, and being greedy and having the money and the wealth and the position to actually uh, take advantage of the poor people in order to snatch up as much land as they can so they could expand their own enterprises and their own estates. At the root of this would be the tenth commandment being broken, which is that thou shalt not covet what thy neighbor has. Thy neighbor's donkey, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's fields. You're not supposed to covet what belongs to your neighbor. And uh, that is greed. That's covetousness. That's desiring something that's jealousy. Desiring something that you want that does not belong to you. So again, He says, woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. He's predicting and prophesying a coming vacancy of all of these big estates and these beautiful houses that these wealthy individuals were building. Uh, God is saying these are all going to be empty. Many houses will be desolate. Great and beautiful ones will be without inhabitant. He's talking about the judgment that was coming upon them via Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who would carry them away in exile uh, to Babylon. In Micah chapter 2, I'll read this to you real quick. It it ties in as well. Micah 2 verse 1 says this, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work evil out of their beds or on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. So it's not just Isaiah who's bringing this up of the corruption of the wealthy trying to take advantage of the poor people and to literally steal their land from them. The poor people in a corrupt society didn't have a voice uh, because there was so much bribery and corruption of the judges at this time. He continues in verse 10. He says, For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one epah. So he's again talking about the time that is to come, the time when God is going to bring judgment upon the land, uh, which did come 
And he's saying that at this time, all these beautiful houses are going to be vacant. They're going to be desolate. Uh, and uh, all of the land that you're, you're, you're growing your crops on is going to basically, uh, it's, it's, it's famine conditions. You're, you're not going to be reaping even as much uh, as you have planted is, is, the, is the bottom line. One bath would be the equivalent of six gallons. So 10 acres of, of a vineyard to only produce six gallons of grape juice or wine was uh was nothing it it wasn't worth the the trouble and the time to plant a vineyard to only get 6 gallons of uh, of grape juice or or wine as a result uh, 6 bushels of seed planted would only yield a half a bushel of grain so you're planting more than you're harvesting that's famine conditions basically so what they were putting so much effort into uh, accumulating assets and wealth and land and property and vineyards uh, and and crops uh, were basically just going to be totally worthless or unproductive in the near future. He says, continuing in verse 11, the second woe. He says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute and wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of His hands. These are those who would rise up early in the morning and start drinking as soon as they open their eyes. Um, I think of the college scene when I was in college. Uh, I'm sure it's it's not much different today. Or the military, someone who served in the military, it's probably a very similar thing where you have young men, 18, 19, 20, and women now, that are just drunk off of their socks by noon. Uh, think of spring breakers before the coronavirus hit and even after the coronavirus hit. Uh, you know, it's young people basically just wasting their life because bad things happen when a bunch of young people, or old people for that matter, get drunk and party. There's fights, there's rapes, there's assaults, there's crimes. Most of the crimes that take place, any law enforcement survey will tell you, take place because people are under the influence of alcohol. I think 90% of all crime in America is committed when people are under the influence of alcohol. Uh, and or drugs, but primarily alcohol is the drug of choice. It's legal. Anyone over 18 can get it, and you could drink yourself to death in our society if you wanted to. Uh, and 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 sadly, many people are drinking themselves to death. Uh, I've read many articles about how young people are dying uh, by by the dozens all over the world from alcohol-related. Uh, diseases, not just liver failure, not just cirrhosis of the liver, uh, but also heart disease and things like this. People are dying in their 30s, in their 20s, because they're drinking so much alcohol, because it's just so socially acceptable right now. And, uh, you know, the Bible says all things in moderation, nothing to excess. And this is excessive partying. They're, they're not just seeking to have a glass of wine with their meal. Uh, they're following intoxicating drink. They're wanting to get blasted out of their minds. They're wanting to get drunk off of their gourd. Uh, and, and then starting all over the next day and starting all over uh, again the next day. 
We read in verses 22 and 23, he, he refers to this again as he does in verse 11. We'll skip to 22. He says, Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. So these are, these are men who should have been mighty in war, mighty in battle, mighty in raising their families and working hard for their families, taking care of their children, taking care of their wives. And yet, no, they were, they were just partiers. They were mighty at drinking wine. They were valiant at making intoxicating drink, making, you know, uh, concoctions that would really get you lit up. And, and God is going to proclaim a judgment against these people. We read in Isaiah chapter 28. I'll read this to you. He says this in verse 1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. So now he's talking about the drunkards. Whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys. To those who are overcome with wine, behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hand. Verse 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees. He eats up while it is still in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Verse 7, But they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. And so when a, when a society is given over to partying, especially when the young people, they live for the party, they live for the next, the next big party where everyone's going to be there getting just totally blasted out of their minds. And today it's not just alcohol, of course. Uh, all manner of drugs are legal and are abused and so forth uh, when people get together and party. But he's saying specifically here that even his leaders, the priest and the prophets, are erring through intoxicating drink. And um, at, at Calvary Chapel, Pastor Chuck taught us that pastors ought not to drink alcohol. Uh, he said deacons can have a little bit of wine, according to, 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 to uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. The deacons uh, uh, can have a little bit of wine, but uh, the pastors and elders are not to be given to wine. And so we take that, at least uh, I would say Pastor Bob and I take that. I don't know that all Calvary pastors feel this way, uh, but this is certainly what Chuck taught us, that pastors uh, are not to drink alcohol, whether it be even a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. Uh, number one, so that we can always be in our right mind. If you get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning and you just polished off a six pack and there's been a car accident or a 
suicide or a SIDS call, a baby dies in the crib, and you get called to come and to minister to the family at two in the morning, and you're too drunk to get behind the wheel of a car, uh, because if you get behind the wheel and get pulled over and, you know, you blow more than a .08 into that uh, breathalyzer, you're going to be taken away to jail. So it's the idea that you should always be ready. You should always be prepared. You don't know when. Be ready in, in season and out of season, the Bible says, for the pastor. Um, and and also, not just that, but it's, it, it's a bad testimony. When people see their pastor out there, you know, w- w- with a big, you know, uh, margarita at happy hour, and you happen to go in to, to pick up your, your, your food order and you see your pastor there, you know, with a, with a big double margarita there in front of him and, you know, just, uh, you know, high as a kite from the alcohol and just talking a mile a minute and talking nonsense. You just think, wow, I mean, I guess it's okay for me to drink like this if the pastor drinks like this. And then you become a stumbling block to others because alcohol is very, very destructive. Um, it's interesting to me, I did some research on the coronavirus about how many people are dying from the coronavirus. And, you know, people are certainly dying. There's no doubt about that. However, uh, you in California only have a 1 in 10,000 chance of dying of the coronavirus. 1 in 10,000. 41 plus million people here, 71, 7,200 people have died from it. It's, it's one in uh, one ten thousandth of one percent, one ten thousandth of one percent chance of dying of coronavirus. You have a, a one in uh, 103 uh, chance of dying in a car accident. Basically, the, the odds of dying of coronavirus in America or in California is about the same of, as dying in a plane crash, about one in 10,000. Uh, you know, if you had a, uh, a coin that was marked and you blindly put your hand into a bag with 10,000 silver coins, you had one of them marked with an X, I mean, you know, it's very unlikely you're going to pick that one coin out of 10,000 coins. Uh, that is the odds of dying from coronavirus. Yet we shut the whole world down because of the coronavirus. You know how many people die of alcohol abuse? How many people die of smoking cigarettes? We're not banning alcohol. We're not banning cigarettes, but we know a number of people will die who drink. They'll drink themselves to death. We know half the people or more who smoke will eventually die of smoking tobacco if they don't quit. It's probably 80% of people uh, who smoke will die of uh, of uh, tobacco-related illnesses if they don't quit. Um, cars, I mean, one out of 100 people in California will die on the roads at some point in their life. You have a 1% chance, but we don't stop all the cars. We don't shut down all the planes because you have a 1 in 10,000 chance of dying in a plane crash. So why would we shut the whole world down for a 1 in 10,000 chance of dying of the coronavirus? And the media doesn't want to talk about the death rate. They want to talk about the number of people that are infected so that we could all be really scared. But it's a flu bug. I believe it was created in a lab in Wuhan, China. I don't think it's a natural flu bug, but it is a flu bug. And no one now is dying of the seasonal flu because everybody who's testing positive that's sick with coronavirus, there is no more seasonal flu. It's all coronavirus cases. And so uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, we, 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 we allow all of these other things to take place uh, we sell, uh, pharmacies sell drugs and 50, 60,000 people a year OD on opioid drugs that they get from their doctors. But we don't stop, doctors don't stop prescribing opioids just because 60,000 people are going to die every year of overdoses, accidental overdoses. 
uh, yet we're shutting the whole world down because uh, there's a one in uh, 10,000 chance you're going to die of COVID. But this idea of people literally drinking themselves to a place of stupor and, and it's beginning to affect the, the leaders, the prophets and the priests, those who are supposed to be standing up before the people and representing God to the people. They should be sober-minded. They should be clear-headed because they're representing uh, a very sober God to God's people. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, and Proverbs is the book of wisdom, so the wise man, the wise woman would really consider what the book of Proverbs has to tell us. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Um, alcohol is a very dangerous thing. My dad was an alcoholic. He died at 62 years old, drank himself, pretty much drank himself to death. Uh, he just partied too hard for too many years. And by the end of his life, it had taken a toll. He really stopped drinking toward the last several years of his life, but the damage had already been done. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's very true. Uh, that if you, if you drink heavily, there's going to be a price to pay. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Not only is, can it be very destructive, not only could it be a stumbling block to others, not only could it potentially disqualify you from being in a state of mind where you could help someone else in a situation that they call you in the middle of the night and they need you to come over and minister to them, uh, but it is something that uh, as we practice it as a society that it becomes normalized, uh, it's something that is now very, very commonplace um, among pastors to drink and among church members to drink and so forth. And again, we're not saying uh, that uh, nobody is allowed to drink. We're not saying that you must be a teetotaler if you're a Christian. But you also have to realize uh, that it is a very uh, uh, powerful Substance. Alcohol is a very powerful substance, and many people will become addicted to alcohol. They won't be able to stop drinking. Those are those that we call alcoholics. The Bible would call drunkards, but uh, it is it is a very addicting substance, and it's very very difficult uh, for people to kick that addiction. In Proverbs chapter twenty three, again, the book of wisdom says this in verse twenty about alcohol. It says, "Do not mix with wine bibbers." or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Look at all the people who are homeless on the streets. Often, they're there as a result of an addiction, either to alcohol and or to drugs. And they lose everything. They're literally living in rags and sleeping on the streets. Unless they're in San Francisco, they're sleeping in five-star hotels. Uh, in San Francisco at the taxpayer's dime, actually. There's no more homeless people in San Francisco. The city is putting them all up in hotels to the tune of millions and millions of dollars that the taxpayers are paying. And they're having all kinds of problems, but they're not reporting it on the news. I mean, these are hotel rooms that's, that rent out for five, $600 a night or more. Uh, and they're, they've got all of these winos and junkies in there just destroying these places. People are getting sexually assaulted, raped, they're ODing on drugs, and the San Francisco City Council is and Health Department is providing them with drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, pot, you know, <laughs> whatever they need. Uh, and, and it's just a total disaster. But uh, 
typically most people that you see who are on the streets, they're there because of an addiction that they cannot uh, have victory over. He says in verse 29 of Proverbs 20, or 23 rather, Proverbs 23, 29, continuing this thought. He says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of a mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And so he's just basically saying, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential danger that comes out of someone who goes seeking after wine and strong drink. One more scripture here in Proverbs. This is for the kings. Proverbs 31, verse 4 says this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. And so when judges, rulers, kings, princes, those who are in authority begin to drink themselves to excess, um, you know, uh, justice goes out the window because they're not in their right mind. They drink and they forget the law. They pervert the law of justice. Uh, and, and that's not what leaders are supposed to do. Uh, he says, give strong drink to the one who's miserable, you know, who's got no hope. Uh, and, um, you know, remember his poverty no more. Remember his misery no more. But uh, we we need to be those who who are sober minded as God's people, especially as we live in these days that are growing so uh, wicked and, and so dark. In the New Testament, in, Proverbs, uh, in Romans chapter 13, rather, I'll read Romans 13.11 to you. And do this, Romans 13.11, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. When you drink, you are no longer in your right mind. You are under the influence of another power. 
Oftentimes, alcohol is used uh, among shamans and among, among medicine men in other countries throughout history in order to enter into an altered state of consciousness so that they might be able to make connection with the demonic realm and with the spiritual realm. Uh, they either use drugs or, if they don't have drugs available, mind-altering drugs, hallucinogenic drugs, they will create alcohol, very strong alcohol, to go into an altered state of consciousness so that then they would be opened up to the demonic realm. It's, it's a very uh, dangerous thing. It's a very serious thing. And, uh, and, and God wants better for us, especially as we are living in these last days. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to drink alcohol. I'm just saying that you uh, and I, we must be sober-minded. We must have our eyes wide open about the dangers of alcohol. Uh, especially in this culture where it is so common and it is so acceptable and socially acceptable for everyone uh, uh, to drink pretty regularly. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle tell us, tells us that we are not to be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation or waste, but be filled. And, and he says, be filled, be continually being filled is actually what the original language means with the Holy Spirit instead of being filled and under the influence of alcohol, of a substance that makes you drunk or intoxicated, he's saying that's not for us. We should be those who are filled with the Holy Spirit under the influence and the power of God's Spirit rather than under the influence and the power of a drug. Back in Isaiah 5, verse 12, he says, the harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute and wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hands. You know, when, when you're under the influence of alcohol, all you want to do is kick back and just watch TV or veg out and watch sports or eat, you know, snacks or something. You have munchies, nachos or whatever. I mean, you're just not productive. People who, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not laying down a, a rule here or a law. I'm just saying it's just the reality. You know, when you're under the influence of alcohol, it slows you down. You, 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 you're now uh, intoxicated and you are no longer concerned for the work of the Lord or considering the operation of his hands. He continues in verse 13. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. Verse 17, Then the lambs shall feed in their pasture, and in the waste places of the fat ones, strangers shall eat. And so God is talking about the judgment that's going to come upon His people who have gone astray, who are just consumed with partying, and uh, that lifestyle of partying, even from the time they wake up, uh, in the morning. And God is saying that uh, that uh, He's going to humble them. He's going to humble them. The lofty shall be humbled. Uh, God tells us that God exalts the humble, but He opposes 
the proud. And so these who are prideful, God is going to abase. He is going to humble them in judgment. Verse 18, the third woe. He says, woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope. And so the uh, picture here is those who are dragging around their sin uh, in their vanity. Uh, Vanity is emptiness or falsehood or dissipation or waste. Vanity. Uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity for the, for the worldly man and uh, the carnal man. But he's saying that these are those who are publicly drawing or dragging their iniquity with them publicly, unashamedly, unabashedly, openly dragging their sins around uh, with cords of vanity. Verse 19, that say, let him, speaking of God, make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. And this is um, this is them saying it hypocritically, almost sarcastically. Those who are blatant and open about their wickedness and their sin and their lawlessness, dragging their iniquity with cords of vanity. They're basically saying uh, to the prophet, uh, let's let's see God work. Let's see him make speed and hasten his work. Let's see if the word of God, the counsel of the Holy One of Israel will draw near and come that we may know it. In other words, they're saying, you know, it doesn't matter what God's word says. We don't see God's word happening. We don't see God's judgment coming upon us. We're everything's going fine. So it was it was almost a uh, a mockery of the prophet when they said this unrepentant open about their sin, unashamed, uh, which of course is a stumbling block to others as you are dragging around your sin publicly, taking it everywhere you go, unashamedly dragging your sin around publicly. It, it, you become and it becomes a stumbling block uh, to others. It's interesting that in the last days, Peter tells us that there are those who are going to mock the prophecies of God related to the second coming of Christ. That in the last days, one of the indicators that you're going to be living in the last days is the fact that people in the church are no longer going to be looking for the return of Jesus Christ or the kingdom of Jesus Christ to come upon the earth. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, we read this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Peter was saying, 
in the last days, right before Christ returns to, to take his church, to his bride, the church to be with him in heaven, and to come back and judge this world and to set up his kingdom to rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years and then forever and ever, he says at that time, people are going to be scoffing. They're going to be walking after their own lust, pretty much every man doing what's right in his own eyes. And they're going to be saying, well, where's the promise of his coming? They've been talking about Jesus' return for 2,000 years. I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. It's already been 2,000 years the preachers have been saying Christ is coming back. And, and they just they just tune that whole idea out that we're living in the last days. And there are a lot of denominations and churches and theologies that are not looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, they scoff us. They mock us who teach the the pre-tribulation rapture or the rapture of the church, period, although the rapture is clearly taught in the Scriptures. Um, And, and, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, they're not even looking for Christ to come back. Uh, They're just trying to uh, bring His kingdom to the earth through the Pope and through the church. Uh, The kingdom theology folks, they're not looking for Christ to come back. They're trying to set up His kingdom on the earth uh, for man to, to, to run. And they don't think Jesus needs to come back. We can handle it ourselves. Well, um, we really need the Lord to return because we're making a total mess of this planet and the church is on its way down the drain. And people aren't looking for His, uh, his return, and we should be. He continues back in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, the fourth woe. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Look at our culture today. Look at the world around us. It's all turned upside down on its head. Evil is now considered good and good is now considered evil. Darkness is now considered those who are enlightened if they're into depraved darkness and sin. And light uh, is considered darkness. It's exactly what Isaiah described. This is the generation that we also are living in today. In Proverbs chapter 30, we read this concerning a generation that was to come in the future. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11 says this, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. In other words, they're so arrogant. They're so cocky. They think so highly of themselves. They're lofty uh, in, in their eyes. Their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off of the earth and the needy from among men. I would say that this would probably describe our generation that's coming up. Uh, not to peg any generation of Americans or uh, any age group in particular, because I think that it, this generation that we're seeing in front of us in 2020 is really of all ages and all uh, stripes, as it were. Uh, but 
it, it is it is a generation that doesn't respect parents, doesn't uh, it's they're not clean and you know they're not clean uh, by God, they're not washed in the blood of Christ yet they're pure in their own eyes. Uh, they're arrogant, their eyes are lifted up, they think so highly of themselves, selfies and you know Instagram influencers, and they think they're so important because they're influencing millions and millions of people. And their teeth are like swords. Their words are like weapons. Their teeth are like swords, like weapons. Their fangs are like knives. So they're, they're, they're using their, their words, their mouths like weapons against the poor and the needy. In 2 Timothy and chapter 3, again, for a New Testament uh, equivalent, Paul the Apostle says this about the last day's generation that will be coming. He says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come or treacherous times or dangerous times will come in the last days. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. It's like, it's like he's, he's looking at our society in 2020 in America or in Europe. Western society, uh, because this defines us today. Interesting that he says this is exactly how it's going to be in the last days. 50 years ago in America, this would not have defined our society. 100 years ago in America, this would not have defined our society. 500 years ago in Western Europe, this would not have defined their society, but this certainly defines Western Europe and the first world, as it were. Certainly it, it describes and defines uh, what what our generation looks like. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. People blaspheme the name of God and Jesus Christ like it's nothing. Disobedient to parents. They're not thankful. They're not holy. They're not loving. They're not forgiving. They're slanders. They're greedy. And yet they think they're religious. So, I think I think that we're here. I mean, this is exactly what the Bible described things would look like before Christ returns. And this is what our society looks like and becoming more so uh, every day. In 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, Paul the Apostle says this concerning the last days and the coming of the Antichrist. And everything we're seeing now is leading up to the Antichrist. Our society at this point would probably accept the Antichrist far more quickly than they would accept the rule of Jesus Christ. If you just took a poll of the average American, they wouldn't want God to rule over them. They wouldn't want Jesus to rule over them. They would want the devil to rule over them because the devil lies to people and says, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Satan says, just do whatever you want. Uh, there's no rules if you follow Satan, uh, but he will take your soul to hell and he'll destroy you uh, by your own sin, by your own hand. But we read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the lawless one, Satan is the lawless one. He's rebellious against the laws of God. And he is going to bring lawlessness when he comes as the Antichrist. He's going to bring lawlessness. And there will be a whole group of people, the majority of the world's population, will be lawless. And they will accept him as their leader uh, because they are lawless. And what do we see now? We see lawlessness rampant. Not only is lawlessness rampant, we see criminals who have taken over police stations, criminals who have taken over entire sections of city blocks uh, that are lawless, that uh, are defunding the police departments. Talk about a lawless generation. Get rid of the police, they say. Defund the police. You know, Berkeley had the bright idea at uh, California uh, uh, State up there in Berkeley, University of Berkeley, that uh, they're going to get rid of their police department at Berkeley uh, because they say that, uh, you know, the police have a bad reputation and the people don't like the police on campus at Berkeley. So they're going to have psychologists out there to resolve crimes. So if somebody wants to beat someone up, instead of calling 911, you call the psychologist who will run down there and race down there on campus to make sure that they could talk you out of beating the tar out of the other guy when you're both drunk out of your mind at a frat party. I wonder how long that's going to last and how well that's going to work. Or somebody that's drinking and driving and, you know, just driving 80 miles an hour around campus. Uh, you're going to have a psychologist, I guess, following them around to knock on their window and to discuss the dangers that you're creating uh, by driving drunk at 80 miles an hour on the campus. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, but it's exactly what the Bible declared would be the case in the last days. Lawlessness will increase because we're being prepared. The world is being prepared. Not us, the church, but the world is being prepared to accept the lawless one who is the Antichrist. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We live in a society where uh, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. Pornography is rampant. It's become so bad that, I mean, children are being exposed to all of this terrible uh, perversion online and there's no more filters. I mean, parents are, you know, they, they, they can't even keep their kids away from this stuff unless you just shut the whole thing off. And uh, you, you have human trafficking that's taking place. You have homosexual characters being introduced to children in children's cartoons, in children's movies, in children family shows. They have homosexual characters that are kissing each other. Five, six, seven, eight-year-old children are watching this and thinking, oh, maybe I'm gay, even though they haven't hit puberty yet. And they have no idea about sexuality. Transgender swimsuit models in the uh, Sports Illustrated, latest Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, it's big news, they have a transgender woman on the cover. So it's really a man who had a sex change in a bathing suit is now 
the front cover of the uh, of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. I mean, if that if that doesn't just turn your stomach, I don't know what does what will. I mean, you talk about calling evil good and good evil, and I think a lot of these poor people have mental illness who want to have a sex change. So for the society to come and you know have have, have the government pay and the insurance companies pay a million dollars so they could change their sex just because they think they're a boy when they were born a girl, or they think they're a girl when they were born a boy, uh, instead of helping them to understand that's not natural, that's not normal. You're not biologically made to be a, a woman. You're a man. Let's help you. To, to deal with your cognitive dis- dissonance and with your, uh, your, your, your mental illness. But instead, their taxpayers and insurance companies are paying, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to pay for sex changes for our society. You talk about calling evil good and good evil. Child molesters these days are no longer considered violent offenders. As the state of California is releasing non-violent offenders into our society, that includes people who have sexually abused children. They're not considered violent offenders. Woe to us who call evil good and good evil. And woe to man when every man is doing right in his own eyes. The fifth woe in verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That just kind of speaks for itself. Those who are wise in their own eyes, really filled with pride. You can't teach them anything because they think they know it all already. You cannot correct them. Verse uh, 22. The sixth woe. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. And again, once your leaders, your princes, your kings, your priests, your prophets, your rulers are those who are always intoxicated and under the influence uh, of an intoxicating substance, that's just about the end uh, for that culture or that society when the rulers uh, are not in their right mind. They're not sober. He continues in verse 23, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. So now he's talking about injustice uh, in the courts, uh, injustice among the uh, the judges' d- decisions, corruption in the judicial system where wicked people who have lots of money will get away with murder because they have lots of money. They pay a bribe to the judge. Um, our courts are so wicked in the state of California. The laws that have come down from the legislators in Sacramento are such wicked laws these days um, to where good is evil and evil is good. And uh, it is total corruption in our judicial system today. And this was the case here in Isaiah's day. Remember back in Isaiah chapter 1, we haven't been in Isaiah 1 for a few months, but he said this, Isaiah 1 verse 21, he said, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness had lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless. 
nor does the cause of the widow come before them. They're just enriching themselves because they have a position of power in the society and they take bribes which perverts and pollutes justice. In Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah says this about the injustice of the time. Isaiah 10 verse 1, he says, Woe to those who decree unjust or unrighteous rather decrees. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? Verse 4, without me they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God hates injustice because typically injustice and bribery and corruption in the courts leads to an oppression of the poor people, the widows and the orphans, those who don't have a voice. Corrupt politicians today in our country writing wicked laws because they're wicked people. How would we expect wicked men and wicked women to make righteous laws? They're not going to do that. They're wicked. And so they're going to make wicked laws. That's exactly what we see happening uh, in our society. And then they appoint corrupt judges and wicked judges because they're wicked politicians. And so it's a, it's a very dangerous downward spiral for a society. And eventually God will judge that wicked society, especially if it's a society of God's people that at one time knew uh, the Lord. Our whole judicial system and government, for that matter, was based on the word of God. And so as we become more and more corrupt and we become more and more uh, wicked in uh, our government and in our judicial system, it's just a matter of time before God judges our nation. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They despised God's word. They did not uh, fear God. They didn't respect Him. They did not honor His word. They despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. And this is so true for us today. You know, those who believe in the Bible are mocked. We are shamed. Uh, we are censored. We are shunned. We are intimidated by people that hate God. And, and a lot of Christians are silent about their faith because of the pressures in society, especially the pressures online uh, for those who believe the Word of God, those who want to live in a way that is in accordance with God's will and His Word. And uh, our society hates the Word of God. They'll accept anything else, everything else. But if you come in and you begin to speak the Word of God 
and you appeal to the Word of God, you are shunned and hated and despised and rejected. Even though the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar and that heaven and earth will pass away. But Jesus said, my words will never pass away. The Word of God is eternal and we can't explain it away. We cannot apologize for it. And we must not compromise. He continues in verse 25 as we wrap up here. Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against His people. He has stretched out His hand against them and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refuse in the middle of the streets. For all this, His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still, His hand of judgment. He will lift up a banner to the nations from afar and will whistle to them from the end of the earth. Surely they shall come with speed swiftly. No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep, nor will the belt on their loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows are bent." Their horses' hooves will seem like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of prey. They will carry it away safely and no one will deliver. In that day, they will roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and sorrow and the light is darkened by the clouds. As, as sure as Jeremiah wrote this, the judgment of God came against God's people Judah. Nebuchadnezzar came with his armies from Babylon. They came swiftly. They were strong. They showed no mercy uh, to the people of God. As a matter of fact, they ravished the women. Uh, they smashed the heads of the babies against the concrete, pulling them uh, from the mothers. They were horrible to the people. Uh, the Babylonians. They were cruel and fierce and merciless. And God had warned them that this is coming, but the people would not repent. They would not repent of their wickedness, of their deeds, and turn back to God. And so they left God no choice uh, but to judge them. Because again, God is holy. His word is true. And whatever God says will eventually come to pass. God is so patient with us though. He's long-suffering, He's patient. He gives us time to repent. He gives us so much grace so that we'll turn back to Him and we'll repent and we'll get right with Him. And oftentimes we see God's grace as a license for our sin. We think uh, just like the people of Judah thought, you know, let's see it come to pass in our lifetime. Where is the Word of God taking place in our lifetime? Where's the judgments of God happening? They said, we don't see it. Well, they did see it. It may not have been in their generation, but it certainly did come because God is holy and He must judge as a holy God. He must judge sin and he must judge his people because judgment begins in the house of God. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, 
If you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.